Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, it's nice to see some friends gathered here at the Ministry Center, and I hope all of you are gathered at home with friends and loved ones, and maybe even people you don't love so much, and get to love them this, this morning. But uh, it is Shabbat, and so we're here to rest and delight in the Sabbath. Steve's going to be doing the teaching here in just a few minutes, but I wanted to take a little time to answer some questions. There have been a lot of questions, and unfortunately some confusion, so I'm going to do my best to try to answer questions and calm some fears. And, um, you know, as you know, Beth the Coons kind of going a new direction because we don't have a building, and, uh, and uh, we're going through some changes. So some of the questions that have come up that have come to me are these. So let's just take them one at a time. Number one, is the community of Beth the Coon dissolving? No. Read my lips. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, it, it may seem that way because we're not on the same place at the same time, but we're not dissolving. It's, uh, unless you call children going up, getting married, and moving up to another house, dissolving the family. It's not. It's expanding the family. And this is a growth for Beth de Coon. And this is a good thing. So, uh, and the next question is, why small groups instead of how we used to do things? Well, for one thing, we were kicked out of a building. And we do not have a building that is centrally located where we can all gather every week. And also, God has put it upon our hearts that he wants us to move beyond the walls of just a church building. Not against church buildings, but we're at a point where God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow leadership, and that can be done by leaders operating in small groups. He wants to develop more discipleship, more community, more intimate uh, connection between people, and this happens best in small groups. But with that said, we're also going to be gathering together as a very large group once a month. I was hoping we could do that this coming Shabbat, but because of technical things or whatever, we're going to postpone that to the the first Shabbat in February. Another question, why is the building in Wadsworth, uh, why are we meeting a building way out in Wadsworth instead of something centrally located? because we couldn't find a centrally located building. We don't, uh, don't doubt for a moment, we didn't try. There were no doors open to us, none at all. But God blessed the godly pastors out in Wadsworth who have uh, rolled out the red carpet for us, but it's quite a long ways to drive for many people. So that's the closest building that we could find. Another question, is it consistent with the plan forward for there to be a small group meeting at the Wadsworth uh, building weekly? You know, this is something I had to overcome because at first, as some men suggested and, and, and desired to meet in the church building over there in Wadsworth, I was resistant at first, I confess. But as I've prayed about it and received good counsel, I realize that, number one, logistically, families that have lots of children, it just works out best for them to have a larger venue to meet in. And second of all, most importantly, the hearts of the men and the fathers, husbands who want to meet there are not rebellious. These are godly men. And I'm getting so feminine in my old age, I cry at everything. <laughs> but uh, these are good men. 
And this is not rebellion. These are godly spiritual men. I trust their hearts fully and completely. So it's not that we're doing this. We're doing this. Parallel tracks. So there are going to be home groups, small groups all around the northeast Ohio area. But for those with lots of kids, you need a bigger place to meet. And we've got good men who are going to be leading and directing that group of people. It's going to be great. But a warning for those of you meeting over in that building Wadsworth each week. We're going to come invade you once a month. So ready or not, here we come. And it's going to be quite a celebration when we do. And I can hardly wait for us to all be together. I miss you all. And I love you all. And uh, I miss my family. So when will we get details about how to organize this new BT structure? Well, yeah, if you get them, please send them to me. (laughs) Um, We're pioneering. This is something new. And right now, because there's a pandemic and we, we are kind of forced to meet in homes for a while at least, um, we, we have to kind of be gradual and careful. And uh, for those who are in a, have a compromised immune system or because other health issues can't meet with other people, then you have to do the best you can. But as you begin to feel comfortable of having another family, another couple, another individual come join you, then do so. And uh, we're going to be hearing from you. And because some of us have had a lot of experience with small home fellowships, we know some of, the, some of the difficulties that can happen, some of the problems that can and will arise, and how to address them. So we are going to be in touch. Um, as Robin put it, it's no man left behind. We are here to serve you. We're going to be doing everything we can to help you and make this successful because I really believe that in the troubled days are coming, and there are troubled days coming, this is going to sustain us. It's going to give us longevity. It's going to carry us into the future successfully with a strong, strong community uh, made up of disciples and mature men and women and godly children. One thing I do want to share is this. I know for a fact that the enemy is terrified of what we are doing. And he wants to spread the fear around. And whatever fear you're feeling about the future of Beth the Coon, it doesn't come from God. It comes from him. So when you start feeling fearful, and this is something I felt as well at certain times, I realize this fear isn't from him. This is a fear that the enemy feels about what we're doing. So when you feel fear and doubt and suspicion and uh, you hear things, find the truth. Don't imagine the truth. Ask questions of people, of Steve, myself, or the elders, and get to the bottom. Find the truth. Because truth is light. Truth dispels the darkness. Truth will make you free. But as much as the enemy is terrified of this new direction of Beth the Coon, I know God is pleased with it. And he's thrilled that we will have the courage to go forward to be a community and set an example for other churches and communities around the world. I think what Beth the Coon is, is pioneering here will be a model for many congregations and already is. So let's be courageous. I'm having faith in you to be loving to one another, to be people of truth and light, and to uh, trust God 
that he's going to have a really great future ahead for us. And um, I've never felt more hopeful about Bethlehem's future than I do now. Because honestly, I was afraid to retire because I thought, what happens to Beth the Coon when I'm gone? I'm not worried about that anymore. Some people think that all of this uh, has come about because I plan to retire and, and I want to do this thing. No, you heard about my retirement about 24 hours after I learned about it. And after God dropped it in our hearts, it was time for me to go. So the news is just about as new to you as it was to me. And, uh, but I'm excited about the next 18 months and beyond because I know Beth the Coons is going to do great. And I have faith in you that you're going to be strong and loving and uh, faithful to God. And you're going to uh, make the most of this opportunity to grow Beth the Coon beyond the borders of a, just of a church building, the borders of Akron, Ohio, and even on out to the world. So uh, let's expect big things of this. So anyways, I probably, knowing how I operate, I probably raised even more questions, but please send them in, and each week I'll try to address them. And I'm hoping to spend some time with the elders and maybe set up a time where we can have um, people come in and ask questions directly, and you can see the beautiful ministry center that God's prepared and, and dropped into our laps. So enough from me. I'm going to invite Steve to come on up and give us this morning's teaching. All right. Well, good. Thank you, Grant. And I think you probably covered a lot of questions and probably didn't raise that many more, but there are surely going to be more after I'm finished. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I'm working on uh, first time up at the plate here to oh, pull this down a little bit here. Does that help? Oh, this. Okay, now I got it. Okay, good. Thank you, David. Um, by the way, a lot of guys come up early in the mornings here, an hour or two early to come set up all of this so that we can all be together. And I just want to recognize uh, Matthew and David and Tim who come up and set things up often to, so that we can hear one another and see one another for an hour and, uh, and receive the teaching. So I appreciate you guys very much. Um, today I'm going to move fairly quickly because I think I've prepared a, uh, a, a hydrant to put out a match. So <laughs> brace up, here it comes. I'm going to try not to lay it all on you, but only the parts that seem to be important as we go along. I did want to talk about an address. Uh, Grant asked me a week or two ago when we were talking in here one afternoon, one evening. Uh, Grant said, I need you to speak uh, the first week. Would you do that? So sure. And as we were talking more, he, I started, I got on a topic and he said, you need, you need to do that. That's what you need to talk about. So that's why we're where we are today. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, more, more thoughts came to me. And I have a, I'm really excited to share with everybody um, the thoughts that are prepared uh, we're going to have in just a few minutes. Um, I want to first of all say, along with the Shabbat Shalom, uh, Happy New Year to everybody. And, and I'm excited. I, I set goals for every year. I love goal setting. 
after I learned to do it in my teen, late teens, I started doing it, and I find it's really helpful, and, uh, and I accomplish a whole lot more when I've done that. So I like new beginnings, I like to start new things, and I like to dream big, and, uh, and I like to start something fresh and something new. I like to complete things, but I really like to start things. So uh, today we're going to talk about big things, by the way, uh, important things, big thoughts, big uh, concepts that we're going to talk about in the context of small assembly, in that for us, we're meeting in a, whatever, about 20 in here today or so, and some of you are at home, just the one single, or maybe mom, dad, and a couple of kids running around, and so we're in a small groupings all over the place right now and so we but as we're in small gatherings I want to talk about some very big things with us today um, my topic is the great Kahal how God's people survive and thrive in times of trouble Kahal is the Hebrew word for the assembly for the gatherings translated sometimes the church uh, these days we might refer to it as the church but it's the collecting of God's people and him with them and so we want to take a look at how they how in the past and currently how we get through and how we actually not only get through tr- troubled times but we we expand we grow we thrive we we mature through all of that and great positive things happen during those times because it's been the history of God's people from the beginning we've always gone through times of trouble tribulation persecution hardship right and so and we've come out every time and here we are as is living illustrations of the fact that the kahal of God is great and powerful and will not be defeated. And so we are representing that. In fact, we're living through a new phrase of that. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so I'm going to back it up, okay? Because I prepared a lot of stuff, might as well show it to you. So (laughs) today, I want to talk about the objectives, not objections, but the objectives and the obstacles facing us at Beth Takun during the lockdown. And some of you in other countries who are listening in, too. Uh, I call it the lockdown. I don't really know what it is, but the limiting factors around us because of COVID primarily, and then sometimes government or legal restrictions or boundaries that are given to us. And so how do we... um, handle those or what do we do during those so that we continue to grow and thrive and mature and nurture one another and so forth. So we're going to talk about the objectives, what we're really after, clearly what we're after, and then the obstacles and how to face them during this time of being quarantined or locked down or limited in some way. And then at the end, I want to give a little history about a big topic, and that's we'll talk about that. So quick just to catch us up, 2020 through 2021, we've experienced this temporary lockdown. It's a time where we are not gathering in one place, but we're gathering in many places, uh, often in our homes. And so um, during this time, we are, uh, many people are trying to figure out, what do I do and how do I do it? I'm at home. It's myself, maybe just, just me, myself and two or three children, or myself and my husband and or my wife and uh, maybe one other friend has come in or another couple's with us but still it's different than what we normally experience and so what am I supposed to do during this 30 minutes hour two hours and and how do I do it so today I have some ideas for us on that and to deal specifically with five things that are the most common um, say obstacles or the most common um, concerns of people as they try to move from things being done in a bigger assembly for us, where we really are participants and observers, to those who actually kind of have to come up with what are we going to do and lead it ourselves and, and be engaged ourselves. 
Um, so we're going to look at those here in just a minute. Um, uh, again, we're going to talk about particularly the family gatherings. I'm thinking about you at your home. Uh, this is temporary. It's during this next few weeks. We hope it will eventually we'll get to uh, have um, opportunities to be more together. But if it's just you and your and your husband or wife and your children and maybe a friend or two, what are we going to do? What are your objectives? Uh, what are our objectives? I think the objectives are these. Uh, they're clear. The first of all, to nurture one another. That's to help one another to grow and stay strong and keep going. It's to give us food, like uh, mothers nurture their children, by both with food and instruction and comfort and cheering them on and scolding them sometimes. But um, the idea is to keep us moving forward, to nurture us, to have personal growth um, in both understanding and what I call maturity. That's applying God's Word. So we, we want to keep learning God's Word. We also want to learn how to apply it. Actually, we want to learn, we want to experience the application of it in our lives. And it's a great opportunity to do that. Greater than it sometimes uh, in the past when we, um, well, I'll get to that again in a minute too. All right, so we want to increase the levels of relationship and connection between one another and between ourselves and him. So there's a personal relationship level, not just information and application, but there's experience of God and this friendship, this interacting with one another that is so wonderful, that is so much becoming a body. I mean, if I had a finger and it worked fine, but I laid it over here apart from me, it wouldn't be nearly as great as if I had it on me, right, when I'm connected. So being able to truly connect with one another in an interactive way, not just in an assembly way, but in an interactive talking and helping and serving and listening and commiserating with and, and groaning with and cheering for one another because we know what's going on in one another's lives. This can happen in a great way for you and your family at home or you and a few others who are close by who you're meeting with. Really, it's, it's a super opportunity for that. And we'll talk about that some more as well. So the family gathering, if I can offer to you, here's a very simple outline for what you can do. And, and let's just keep in mind, simple Keep it simple. When I, Mr. Carr was an old man. He was in his 70s, which is not so old to me as it once was. But when I was in my, <laughs> about 19, I remember talking to Brother Carr, who was an elder at our church, and he was dying. And, um, and I went to his home with a preacher who was kind of coaching me along. And uh, we asked, I asked Brother Carr, because he was dying, and I thought it would be wise to ask him a question. So I said, Brother Carr, what's the most important thing you've learned in your life that you would tell me as a young man? And he said, and he kind of was, you know, working to get it out without much energy, as he really was within a few, uh, a week or so of dying. He said, keep it simple, Steve. Keep it simple. And that's been a great uh, motto or lesson or rule of thumb for life, really. And so we're going to keep this simple by keeping it doable and effective uh, for individuals and for the family gathering. It should be something that's not complicated. Don't try to be complicated. Don't try to duplicate what we've been doing together uh, for many years at Beth or what you've seen in other churches somewhere. Calm down and slow down and chill. I don't know all the right words to use here, but, <laughs> you know, just kind of relax, really relax in this. Rest, Sabbath, let's rest in his presence and let's just be in his arms and hands 
and let's be very real, very authentic. In fact, that's a very popular thing in the history of Christianity. But even in our times, uh, the current generation really appreciates and looks or and values authenticity and being real and being genuine. So be genuine. And that means you let your bumps and barnacles show sometimes. And it's okay. You just are honest about it. Okay? And so we get to be real. It's not performance. It's not going to be, has to be perfect or all right. It's got to be genuine. And so slow it down, simplify it. And just, these are the what things that I would encourage. These are mine. This may not be yours. You may come up with something different. That's fine. We can chill on that too. This isn't, doesn't have to be the model for everybody. But it does have to be something that is nurtures and encourages understanding and promotes interaction. So, uh, I would say, first of all, pray the prayers. We have the Siddur. Many of you have copies of it in your home. So, pray, read some of those prayers. Read through them if you want to do that. Or, Tim has a plan for us. And I think, did I bring a copy up here? Yeah. So, here's today's that we have that Tim has put together each week. I think he's doing these for us. They're on our website. You can go there and print this off or find uh, this simple plan for what to do. And in it, it includes a, a portion of the Siddur that you can read together or pray together and talk about. And so I would say that you're gathering, you and your family, even if you're by yourself, you should be involved in praying the prayers. And and then here are some ideas. Uh, Tim has given us uh, some discussion questions that go along with the siddur, with the prayer. And so that's, that's one thing to do. Other things you might consider doing that help with the instruction and teaching, because we know not everybody's going to be a, a teacher or a preacher or an instructor, but we still need instruction for our group. And so I would encourage you to either listen to and discuss the streamed teaching. That's, this one usually grants doing them. So listen to that and maybe have some time afterwards to talk about that or talk about the one from the week before. But listen to the teaching. And have a discussion, or you may also uh, uh, want to read or discuss the uh, the Torah portion for the week, or some part of that. Read that together and talk about that. Ask a question or two to one another, and just see what God does in that. So there are some options. There's probably many more, but here's some that I think would be safe to start with for us. And then um, apply them by asking this. This is really important. The next two parts are really important. I wish I could say that more strongly. They're just really, really important, okay? They make a huge difference. One is uh, to apply it somehow by asking, what will you do with today's teaching? Go through and ask yourself or ask those with you, what will you do with this? And I would encourage people, even write down, I will, what you're going to do. That writing it down is the first step to making a thought reality, because it makes it tangible. You can see it. There it is. So I will, and you say, what are you going to do with that? Um, and it would be, I would say, do it, make your object, object, objective to do it in the next seven days, between now and next Sabbath time. So, but be, be specific. You have to know how to, it's kind of goal setting, and there's a way to do it that's helpful in a way that's not so helpful. But if you say, well, I will be a better Christian between now and next week. Well, that's a good idea, but that's not really, you, how do you know if you were better or not, right? Or how we know if you were better or not. And so say, I will, and then what do you think might make you stronger in the Lord in the next week? So I will, every day this week, read my Bible. Maybe you haven't been. So every day this week, I will read my Bible for five minutes or one chapter or 
10 verses or whatever way, something to measure so that you can know this time next week you did or you didn't meet your I will statement or your goal. But if it's something connected with the teaching, it's really important. So out of that, some idea will come to you. Listen, and this is that connection piece we're after here. This is really important. We've got to learn to do this, okay? It may seem awkward in the beginning, but it's because we're learning. R- riding a bicycle is never not awkward the first time you get on one. I don't care who you are. You're going to stumble and fall a little bit. But if you keep trying, you'll get really good at it. And so um, listen and even ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do with this teaching? What would you have me do with this teaching? And just pause. Give it 15 or 20 seconds. No kidding. Just be still and allow your mind to be open to the Lord and see if, see if some thought or idea comes to you. And then make that your goal. I will do that. And then you do it. The next week when you come together, and this is the last part of this, is to have some accountability. It's with your spouse, with your kids, or with your friend, or whoever is there with you. And if you're single, then have somebody you're going to tell this to. I've made a goal. My goal is I'm going to do this, or my statement is I'm going to do this. Come back together and tell us what happened. If If you're directing the group, if you're leading the conversation, just have a time where you say, tell us what happened. So... If it's me and Donna, Donna, what happened last week about your I will statement? She may say, I didn't do it. She won't. I'd be the one to say that. But she will say, I did it. It's great. So if somebody says, I didn't do it, you say, fine. Will you try again this week? Do you think you should? Yeah, I probably should. Great. Encourage them. Edify. Build up. Building up is a process. So that's one way to do that. It's nudging them forward. No scolding. It didn't say, you you notice the question is not, did you do it? Okay, the question is, what happened? Because what we want to know is what happened, not did you do it. And if you didn't do it, and you're honest about it, isn't that kind of like confession? Which is part of of growth, which is a good thing. It's not pleasant, but it is a good thing. And it's helpful for us to cleanse us and to make us his people, true disciples. And so that will boost us, because next week you don't want to say, "Mm, I didn't do it again. If you did, you say, well, try again next week. Or can we help you? Can we, we will pray for that. My statement will be, I will pray for you every day this week that you will make your I will statement for next week. Okay? That's building up one another. Doesn't that feel like the body? Doesn't that feel good? There's something about that is truly resonates with this. This really is the interaction types that we should be experiencing in the kingdom and in the family. So you're doing that with your children, you're doing that with your wife, and, and uh, maybe a friend or two that's come, or other family that's come in, and uh, you're encouraging one another. What's going to happen is that at some point, after a few weeks of trying to get on the bike and falling off, one of you is going to get a few feet on the bike when you stand up. And we're going to say, what happened? You're going to say, you will not believe what happened. You will not. And everybody's going to be like, really? Let's hear. And we will tell that story, and that is what we call testimony. It's the interaction of God in our lives and us with him out in real life and what happened. And that, you talk about transform people. You talk about transform your children. That will transform your children to hear those stories. This week, I got to do that. And I'll tell you really quickly, this is not in my notes, so I'm going to really hurry. And Grant already took 15 minutes of my time. (laughs) So, anyway, um, just this weekend, uh, a friend from East Africa was ill and had some uh, um, some things at his home, his water 
pump system broke down. He had a lot of things going on. He just texted me and said, can you pray for me? I'm, I'm really between a rock and a hard place. And I sensed it. And this was like 3 in the morning one morning when I got the text, you know. For him, it was in the day. And for me, it was 3 in the morning. So, But I woke up to it, and I read it. And I love this guy. He's such a great man. And so... Um, I was concerned for his health because he's concerned about COVID. Maybe being he's maybe contracted it, and he was concerned about it. And his, he said, "I've been to the doctor, which is not always helpful. <laughs> Thank you. It's not always helpful where he lives." Um, he said, "And so I'm I'm taking lemons and aspirin." And I thought, "Wow, that's probably what he was prescribed, you know." But kind of don't know if that'd be enough, but that's what he's doing. So I was really concerned. So I prayed for him there. I just lay in the bed and I prayed for him. And, and it was put on my heart by God to send him some money to help him with his pump, his water pump. So I was thinking about how to do that and how much. And a figure came to mind and I thought about it. I said, well, okay, I'll do that. And so fell back to sleep after praying for him, fell asleep. I woke up the next morning and on my phone, I was just checking. I texted him and said, you know, I'll be praying for you. I have prayed for you, and, and uh, we're going to, uh, yeah, I think that's all I said at that. I'll be praying for you. So the next morning, I checked my phone to see if any updates or any response from him, and there was a message, and he was just appreciative of the prayers. And I got a second text from another friend of mine in Kentucky who said, and it was from PayPal, and PayPal where he had transferred some money into Good Soil, which is our ministry fund back in Tennessee. And it was the exact amount of money that I had pledged before the Lord to send my friend for his things. All right, that's a testimony. That's what happened. And I saw your faces. Okay, we're not looking for uh, blitz and bling or whatever you call it. We're not looking for that, but that'll come. And it'll be little stuff and big stuff. It'll always be wow stuff. And you'll say, yes, there is a God. And your kids will hear that. And I took that and told it to my grandchildren. I gathered them around. They were at the house this weekend. And I pulled them around, the ones that were about from this size up to here. And after we could kind of corral them, because they were busy playing and having fun, we pulled them all together. And I said, I've got to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And I told them the story. That's what you do. That's what you do when you're home. And it's just you and the family. Just go out there, be faithful, apply God's word every day to your life as best you can. Be honest about it and bring back what happens. All right, we'll keep going. So, but there are some obstacles to this being a pleasant event uh, during this time of lockdown. Not only are we stuck in the house and maybe the weather's kind of gloomy and we want to be outside. We're not seeing our friends. We're not getting together like we would normally enjoy doing. We have some obstacles. Um, There's also some internal stuff. There's uncertainty. We aren't sure what's going to happen and how it's going to go and if this is, we're doing the right thing or the right way. There's also some unfamiliarity. This is awkward for some of us who are not used to speaking or teaching or leading or coming up with ideas for the Sabbath gathering. And, there's, um, and there are those and other unique challenges that are involved. So those are the obstacles. And here are five of them that I want to talk about very quickly uh, because the last part of what I want to talk about is the best part of what I want to talk about today. So I want to get there. Um, first of all, this the day itself. Uh, some of us are still new. I still feel very new to uh, the Sabbath uh, gathering and, and participation in the Sabbath and what goes on and what should go on, what it's all about. I'm still learning. Some of you are still learning. Uh, some of you have been around for a long time, and the day looks different for you now than it had for a while, uh, which you've become accustomed to. So what, what would Yeshua do? 
is the way I approach the day itself. And that's what I would encourage you as a family, as a person, approach the day and ask yourself, what will Yeshua do on this day in his time? And so the concern is, you know, things like I'm not a preacher, I'm not a gifted teacher, I'm new at this, I'm a woman, and I'm used to, maybe I'm, I shouldn't be doing these things, and maybe a man should be doing some of these things. Uh, my kids won't listen to me, so how am I going to get, you know, how are we going to sit and read Sadur and be quiet and say a prayer? How are we going to do all this stuff? The kids are running, bouncing off the walls. Maybe I'm single, I'm by myself. How do I do all of this? So th- the question is, how do I do a Sabbath day because I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I've got all the pieces. I'm not expert. And um, my answer is to, to follow these principles. The Sabbath is a special time in which we are invited by God to join him. So ask yourself, where is he? Where is he on Shabbat? And what would he be doing in my shoes? So ask the question. If Jesus were here today, what would he be doing? What did he do on Shabbat? And go look in the book. See what he did all through history. Where was God all through? What did he do when it was especially Jesus? Because he's the visible image for us. So what did Yeshua do on that day? And look at the things he did. Um, He read Moses. We see him doing that, didn't he? So grab your book. Start reading a little bit. That's one thing you do. He healed the sick. Go help somebody. Do something good. Be a servant. Serve. That's what he did. Um, He healed the sick. He fed his friends. Um, he spent special time with his father, Abba. He would just take off and go on the mountain or go be alone with him. It's a good idea for us. So whatever you see Yeshua doing on Sabbath, that's a good place to start for yourself or yourselves. Um, um, it's a good time also to be serving and training the kids. You know, he was with the kids. They were all around and everybody wanted to shoo them off. And he said, ah, don't do that. This is the way he was said it in Texas. Okay, so... Where I grew up. He was, ah, don't you do that. You bring those kids right over here right now. Come here. Bring those babies to me. Come here. I want them right here. Come on up here. And he would talk to them. Amen. And he would tell them stories. And he would say, you know what? You guys, these are special people right here. I mean, what are the kids feeling? Oh, I'm so, I want to be special. These are special. You need to be like them. They're doing something. What something in them is telling us something about him. And so Jesus just incorporated those babies. He brought those children right in. You've got kids running around. Learn, think about it, pray about it. This is your chance to grow, God. I don't know how to do this. Help me and help me to help them. He will come through. Give it time. Give it time. And you bring those children in. And it's not that the service or the time uh, together focuses on the kids, but it is that there's a time to focus on the kids. And there's a time for them to learn to focus on others as well. Okay, so it's all great training ground. That's my point, is that um, the day is a day for training the kids. It's a time for meeting together. It may just be you and the kids and the wife. It may be you and a few friends. It may be a bigger assembly at times, but it's a time to meet together. I put down mowing, not that we all need to go mow, but as an example, when I was uh, in Tennessee and we were beginning to learn how the, what to do on Sabbath day, I, asked, I said, well, I'll just do whatever Jesus did. I go look. He never mowed. But he helped people, okay? He helped people. And so um, I, um, so there was a lady, a widow, that had some, some arthritis in her fingers and her body. She couldn't physically move around very well. And so her grass was getting pretty deep and her yard pretty ragged. And so I one day got the lawnmowers and weed eaters and got my sons. And I said, we're going to go help Miss, and I named her, this lady. We're going to go help her today. And it was a Saturday. It was a Sabbath. Were you supposed to rest and do no work? 
don't know if I was wrong in that, but I joined where he was. I think it was kind of like, I think, it was kind of like that time where his disciples were pulling off heads of grain or where uh, it was a time when he healed on the Sabbath. The guy's hand was shriveled and he, he helped him with his hand. And he didn't think that was a bad thing. Jesus, he didn't think that was a bad thing to do. And so we went to the motor yard. She wasn't even home. We got to do it without her knowing it. And we almost got out before she drove up because we wanted to sneak in and do it and sneak out and her never know because that was a part of the blessing is to give um, without anyone knowing. So, but we got in and we blessed her by doing that. That's how we spent our Sabbath. So serve, find people to serve. That's what I, my encouragement is as an idea. Um, eat together and rest yourself. I've taken a, a many naps on the Sabbath day and I needed them. And I've encouraged my family, relax. We're not going anywhere and doing anything. We're going to sit at home and we're going to focus on restoring ourselves to get ready for the, the week ahead of service and activities. So those are my ideas. If they're wrong, the ones that are wrong, kick out. Don't do them. But the ones that are right, if there's one in there, take it. And if you've got more, please share them with the rest of us because we're all looking for ways to handle the Sabbath. Um, so the main thing I would say is we need to recognize the purpose of the Sabbath, which is to meet with him, to be with him, and recognize that. And I would t- tell the parents, because this is really concerning, we're going to talk a little more about parenting in a minute, and, and kids being at home, and just you and the kids and week after week, or just a few people getting together, usually couples with small kids kind of like to all get together because they're on the same page. And so that's like more challenging to have extra kids around. Or grandparents who are trying to have people, younger couples over or their kids with grandkids and the house is not kid-proofed and that kind of thing. So let me just tell you all that rearing godly offspring is worship. It is ministry. You say, oh, we didn't. And I've been there. Donna and I have been there. We know. But most of our life has ended up being in a small family gathering or with a few families gathering together because we were in places where there weren't large gatherings uh, as an option for us. We were there to start them. Uh, to start bringing people into the Lord. And we ended up spending a a lot of time um, in assembly times that weren't very edifying. I mean, we didn't have a song service that was uplifting, and we didn't have, we couldn't even listen to the whole message because the kids kept interrupting, or one of us had to go out and watch the kids while the other, or, you know, their kids break into an uproar, pulling over a toy, or somebody falls and bust their face on the ground and you had you know it interrupts everything when we went to africa it, we the assemblies often had uh, we had chickens coming in and out and getting in fights and making noise uh, there's a hen that's laying an egg you know when a hen lays an egg she goes bark, 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 over and over and until finally you know she's laid the egg and she's like oh and so <laughs> all right so um and we had goats coming in the assembly we had the cows be over there snatching the grass right beside us if we were outside we had drunks come in the room, and they always wanted to preach. <laughs> and we had demon-possessed a few times, convinced they were demon-possessed people, and they would always want to get mad at, pre- at me. I was usually up there. They were mad at him, and they would say things that were awful to say, and everybody's trying to shoo them out quietly. How do you do that? Anyway, we had all kinds of chaos, but you know what? It was good. I don't know how to tell you this, but there was good in it. It wasn't good, but there was good in it. There was growth in it. And somehow the most important parts surface during that. The really most important parts surface. And so they're not obstacles, they're stepping stones, okay? They're opportunities. And so 
Husbands, by the way, if your wife is saying, you know, if you're thinking, oh, my wife will never get to hear a sermon or a message because, you know, the kids are going on and needing this, need to be fed, and need a snack and you know, diaper change and all that kind of stuff. My, my wife's never, if we're at home, it's just us. She'll never get to hear a message. She'll never hear Grant's teaching all the way through. Husbands, service is worship. Service to your wife is worship. It is ministry. You go change the diaper. You go cook the, you skip three or four weeks in a row yourself. Let her have a chance. It's up to you guys. It's up to us guys. You can do it. You can learn to change the doctor. I know you can. Most of you guys are doing that. In my time, we didn't know how to do it. We were afraid of pins because we had to have pins. We might stick the baby. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Most of y'all nowadays, they have little zip tie things or whatever you use now. (laughs) Velcro stuff you use. But anyway, so we had to worry about puncturing our baby so we couldn't do it. So we let the wife do it. We were getting out of it. Anyway, I'm encouraging you to do it better than I did. How about that? All right, we're going to move more quickly. There's concern about the house. I may not go through this item by item here because I'm going to run out of time. Um, But there may be a concern about the house. You know, I'm concerned our house is too small uh, for if we have a guest over. Um, It's too messy. Um, It's too far away from anybody who want to come out here where we live. Or it's not nice enough. People are used to better furniture or better accommodations in some way. And so I just want to, the principle I want you to address is this, or these, I would say, use, that's Martha thinking. And Martha versus Mary thinking. And Mary focused on the content and the time with Yeshua. And Martha was worried about all the stuff. And so don't be a Martha thinker. Just You just got to stop it. You got to just, I got to throw that out. And so um, in the kingdom, water in Yeshua's name is rewarded. I mean, it didn't have to be expensive. Just a cup of water. He says, I got, that's good. I'll reward you as much as I would reward a prophet. That's a pretty big deal. That's a big statement. So water, the stuff doesn't matter. A widow's penny is praised by Yeshua. Uh, The least is God's blessed platform for a demonstration of his greatness. Still, and I misspelled that, but still, Yeshua is coming Put out the best plates. That's the motto. Still, let's do our best job. And even if it's mom and dad and three or four little ones, Yeshua is coming today. What a grand opportunity to teach your kids what the Sabbath really is. Yeshua is going to be with us today. We're going to be with him. Let's get our couch and bedroom or our our couch and living room kind of cleaned up here and we're going to have a little meal together and we're going to have a time to talk to him and listen to him and you can help me get ready here take the dirty clothes and put them in the out over there and you would you stand here and sweep this little area right here what just involve them in the preparations for him it is training it is training it is training their souls i promise you it is training their souls it is good work don't miss the beauty of the opportunity because it is spiritual stuff when it's done for that purpose. It affects the spirit, the soul of a person. So let me encourage you all to um, have that uh, Mary thinking and not that Martha thinking and use this opportunity. Yeshua is coming today. And let's get ready for it. Your kids will thrive under that. They will. You may fall off the bicycle a few weeks, but just keep trying, all right? So... Um, um, I wanted to share so many stories with you. I'll have to do it maybe at another time, but I will tell you about uh, uh, the the mud in the... Uh, which one should I do? The, the mouse in the house. That one sounds the most fun. A friend of mine... In fact, it take time. Oh, yeah. You don't know how much I have here, Grant. <laughs> 
<laughs> thanks. So the mouse in the house, we had friends. In fact, it's this guy that we just uh, told you about. The, he had a need and he's sick. By the way, he's getting tested. He's not, he doesn't have COVID. Uh, but um, anyway, he was hosting us, Donna and I, when we were 24, 25 years old in, in East Africa. And it was in a little round mud hut. It was made out of mud and, and stick roof with um, just grass on the top of it. And the, and the stove, the cook stove, was a, little, was a hole in the ground with two rocks beside it. So a little hole about that size. And a stone here and a stone here that the pot could be set on top of to boil water, boil tea, boil vegetables, and that kind of thing. So there's like three rocks, two here, two here. You put the sticks in this way. So it's just in the floor, in the mud floor. They had two, uh, little, um, two or three little stools which were shorter than this one, but little uh, four-legged stools, about that tall. And the wife sat on a stool that was about this long and that wide and about that tall. So it was right on the ground. So she could sit with her legs, not flat on the dirt, but on that little stool with her legs going out and cook, prepare the meal. I think maybe she had one down there for you, Donna, eventually too. So Donna had one, and the, the guys, of course, we sat on the stools up high for whatever reasons. Um, I, I just did what I was told. <laughs> Do what? So I didn't have to cook, that's right. Yeah, well, I just did what I was told. I was just a young, dumb missionary. I had no idea. So, um, uh, but we sat around, and they had, for water, they had to go down to a, about a half mile or so walk down to a pool where there was a spring and water was there, and they'd collect water and come back and pour it in these clay uh, pots, a clay pot. It was about this big, and it would keep the water fresh and cool. So they pour the fresh water in there. And when the wife needed for cooking or making tea or something, she'd just dip some out of the water and pour it in what she needed. And when it got low, we'd go back and get some more. So we were there one night, and they said, let's pray for our, our food. It was night. So we bowed our heads to pray, and as we prayed, we heard this bloop. And so we ended the prayer and looked up, and the guy, uh, the, the Kenyan guy, he looked back over and he took his flashlight and shined it over in the water pot, and there were two little eyes right there, and this little guy going like that, <laughs> wishing he could get out. So a little mouse had been walking along the edge of the, uh, the the room, and he had dropped in, and he fell right into the water pot. So he just scooped him up and threw him out, and we went right on with our meal. <laughs> so um, you can do it too, right? <laughs> this guy started at least seven, between seven and nine churches in his lifetime, and the first one started right there in that house. And he's actually doing mission work in Tanzania now. It's amazing. And he's a school teacher. He always had a full-time job as a school teacher until he retired a few years ago. So Grant, even school teachers, can, can yeah, they can learn to do this. So um, anyway, but he hosted us, and he hosted, he's hosted thousands of people in that l- in little mud room. So we can do it. So let's clean up for Yeshua, everybody. Let's get into it, little ones and big ones, and share what you have. And Yeshua will make the loaves and fishes plenty enough. I promise you, he'll get his work done. And that's the goal. All right, next. A meal. Uh, there's concerns about allergies and uh, people's preferences. Do they like what I like? Will they eat what I eat? That kind of thing. Uh, some of the people are concerned. You know, I'm not a good cook. I don't. My food may not taste very nice. Or um, we don't have nice tableware. We don't have enough settings. It's kind of mix and match stuff, which we've had all our lives. And somehow made it. When you have five kids, you don't have a set of anything very long because somebody's <laughs> going to break something or lose it, right? It's going to happen. So you just keep getting the closest thing to it. You just keep going. 
And after a while, you don't even worry about that. Just, you know, if it functions. So, um, but there's concern, you know, our table won't look nice or whatever, or we're on a tight budget. You know, it's going to be tough having enough to feed an extra two or four or six people. Those are concerns at times. We've been there as well. And so here's the principle to go by is that to whom much is given, much is required, and everybody else do your best. And that last part I added, right? So if you've got much, share. If you have little, share. Okay, what you got is enough. And again, the loaves and fishes thing, he'll make it enough. And it's okay to say, you don't have to say it, just give your best. And our friends, um, uh, let's tell you the story about the grandmother's cow here, the same family that I'm talking about, um, they hosted us for nine weeks, every meal for nine weeks. You talk about different, here we are, Americans in Kenya, and they were worried about what did they eat? What do they want? Will they eat our food? They had never seen a, a white Caucasian person eat their food, which was cornmeal and green vegetables. They had never seen them eat using their hands and not a fork or knife. They didn't know if we would drink what they drank. They were they they drink some of it is tea. They also drink a, a spoiled milk that's got charcoal in it in a gourd, and we don't drink that. But I learned to. <laughs> I really like it now. I, it's odd, but I learned to love it. Took ten years, but I got there. <laughs> bicycle, bicycle training. Think, okay, think about it. So anyway, um, so but they didn't have enough milk at a certain point. They had a, one cow, and she was kind of going dry. So they never told us, but they would send their kids every morning with a bottle, just a just a old, and had had juice in it, but it was a bottle, and they'd reuse it. And they'd send their kids every morning to go about a mile or so over to grandmother's house, and she would share some of her cow's milk, and they would run it back and boil it up, so we would have. Nice milky tea in the mornings. Isn't that great? You know what? That guy drives a car now. He's, he's got a nicer house. God has blessed him. He just blessed him. And he doesn't have to go after water down the hill anymore. He's the one with the water pump. There's a getting fixed now. <laughs> so he'll be working again. But God has blessed him. And he'll bless you too. So share what you have. Know why you're doing it. And you watch for God in that. And that's the whole point, right? All right. Children, what to do with them? Throw them out. <laughs> no, don't throw them out. We don't do that. The concern is our kids won't last an hour. You know, they're going to they're gonna come apart and come unglued. And they will. There's a good chance. So the concern is that our house is not child-proof. We're afraid to have people over. Or um, that our, I talked earlier about this one, that maybe my wife will never hear the teaching. Or the concern is we need a break. You know, we've been working hard six days and we're coming. We need a break from, we need somebody else to take care of of the kids so we can have a break from that. And so the principles I would say here, and, and these are my, my thoughts for you, is um, parents, train your children. It's a chance to train. It's a great chance to train. It's not a time to sit down. Train them, and God will refresh you, and you've got to trust me on this one. He will. It, there's occasions when it's nice to have somebody give you a break. I'm not saying there's not. In fact, it's an opportunity for somebody else to serve you, to give you a break. But your goal, your objective is to train them on this day to realize Yeshua is coming. Let's get ready for him. And to see you sharing what you have and trusting God for the outcomes. They get to see faith in action. Y'all, this is real faith. This is, this is really it. This is where it's born. This is where it's practiced in these opportunities. So, um, I, husbands, again, consider your wives. There's a great chance for you to practice that. <coughs> By taking care of the kids, by coming up with something for the kids, by dealing with the kids, by changing the diapers or feeding them or whatever you need to do. But help them. Help mom. Um, 
principle is that suffering produces growth, that we're to serve one another, that older women are to teach the young women how to keep at home. Maybe there's some older ladies here who can give you some advice or ask for it. Or they, older ladies, offer it. Just be bold and say, hey, I was in your shoes once. Let me tell you some things I did that helped. Okay, go do that. That's pulling us together, isn't it? And that's, again, the goal. So reach out. Let's be inter- interacting with one another. And um, um, include the kids. Services, worship, so we include the kids. Um, we often would say, okay, now it's time to get out our papers. I'm making this one up as I go here, but it's time to get our papers. And so little Tommy, would you bring, would you give everybody a paper? So it's maybe just you and mom, okay? But he gives mom a paper and he gives you a paper. He's served, okay? He's important. He has a role. You're letting him know he means something, okay? Now, if he's 18 years old, little Tommy, would you? you, That's different, okay? So then we say, little Tommy, we want you to read the message today. and We want you to come up with a couple of questions to ask us about this uh, part of the Siddur or from the teaching today. And it includes them as well. And so it's a great opportunity for your kids to be included in service, uh, including preparing the house for guests. I will say that we hosted... In my family growing up, we never had one person visit our home except grandparents. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was embarrassed, and we, she would, nobody came to my house. I never had a friend overnight. I never had a person enter my home but one time when mom had everything cleaned up. It was for a surprise birthday party for me. But other than that, I never saw anybody in my house. And uh, so I'm not really familiar with hosting and, and uh, hospitality in general, um, but and Donna didn't have much of a different experience either growing up. I don't think so, no. But the Lord transformed us, and we got to see other families hosting, and we learned from them. And over the years, we've hosted um, literally thousands and thousands of people in our home, even overnight, and um, and share with them what we had, and it's, God has taken care of us to do that. But our kids have been blessed. Now, the big the big deal coming out of this is what our children, what your children will get from it. And um, they, we've included them. We had to. And so uh, we had, Donna had them from the time they were little doing whatever they could do to get ready. So we would spend sometimes three days cleaning the house in preparation for a group coming over for the night, just for a one evening together. Three days of every minute we can find between homeschool and baseball games and whatever was going on. We, somebody was running a room or a vacuum or picking up things or doing laundry or uh, getting together the books and make sure we had the Bibles and things ready, whatever it was going on. So uh, include them in all of that, even if they're little. All right, so I'm going to move. I don't want to move too quick to this because I think this is an area that I think a lot of people have questions about and concerns about. And I really want to encourage you that this will be okay. Um, the thing... Uh, um, All right, the last line under principles here and up here where it says, training is at home for the marketplace. Um, it's really tough to train your child in Walmart when they're throwing a fit in the floor, right? When they're screaming, that's like, oh, what do I do? Everybody's watching, and if I do anything to them besides, oh, you poor thing, I should buy you everything, you're right, I'm such a bad mom or dad. You know, if you do anything besides that, you're going to jail. Or or worse, the kids are going to be hauled off, all right? So you want to train at home in preparation for that. So I'm going to skip down a little bit under stories here. You want to train for Sabbath during the week. 
And so you begin when they're young. You talk about it. You say, okay, we're about Saturday. Is coming, Sabbath is coming. And we're going to have Yeshua here. And maybe a friend is coming over or just us going to be together. And so let's practice. How are we going to be? Well, let's, how, let's act how we should not be. How about that? Let's do that. Okay, everybody ready? Tommy, show us what you should never, what your sister should never do when we have guests. Let's see one. Okay, and you'll get, have fun. It's training, okay? Um, and so then they say that, and you say, little sister, is that right? Yeah, well, what should Tommy never do? All right, well, well Tommy, you know, she'll act up. So it'll be fun, make it fun. I say, now, what should we do? I wonder what we should do. How's the right way to do? And you talk about that, and you practice, and you train them. And you say, okay, tomorrow's the day, or this morning is the day, and we're going to, remember what we practiced all week? Let's see how we do. And you start with them little like that. When they grow up, they'll be good to go. Okay, they'll, You'll fall off the bicycle, and they will fall off the bike several times. But keep with it, and you'll begin to get little victories. And every time they do the right thing, you cheer like a, <laughs> we'd say at home, cheer like a mad dog. Okay, whatever a mad dog cheers like. You just go off and say, whoa, mom, did you see Tommy? He was so polite. He handed out the stuff, and he didn't try to keep it all to himself. And way to go, Tommy. We're so proud of you. You do that, kids cannot withstand that kind of attention. They just can't. They can't resist it. So lay it on good, okay? All right. I have no idea. Grant said when he, as he was praying before we got started here, he said, and, you know, Lord helps. You, did, you all didn't hear this. You all hear, heard it. And he said, you know, take, bless Steve and his message and what he's going to do today as he's about to teach us and, and what he's going to say will be heard all around the world or something like that. Now, so I don't know what the world is hearing today, but it's, it's well intended. So y'all bear with me on this. Um, all right, so we practice at home, <coughs> uh, getting ready for the week. Um, let's see, what would I want to do? Oh, and so dads, I know a lot of men are really intimidated by trying to figure out how to lead their families during these discussions. What are the questions? How do I come up with questions? What do I do with this? I'm not a trained, um, like a, a teacher or a preacher. And so um, um, I would encourage dads to prepare ahead of time, prepare some kid-level thoughts or some kid-level teaching. Um, and one way to do that, as I've written up here, is to pretend is to get the kids to pretend that they are some character. So if you're in one of the Bible characters, tell the, ask the kids, whether they're adults, uh, whether uh, teenagers or 10-year-olds or younger, if you were this person, Jonah, out on the boat, if you were a Jonah, what would you think you would feel? What you think you would be seeing? What would you be thinking at that time. So you get them to get in character with whoever is in the scene there. And then you say, you ask them, and so where was God that day? Can you imagine where was God? And what was he thinking? And what was he feeling? And you get them to put themselves in the scriptures and apply them as if they were there or or, or sense them as if they were there. And then from that, you can make applications according to the age of the kid in real life, okay? By simply asking, so are there any situations in your day or in these times where a person might feel that or think that or have that experience? They're not going to experience themselves on a boat somewhere, but they're going to experience themselves in a tight place and not knowing what to do, right? So how do you deal with it, all right? So there's where you might do that, dads, as you try to think how to ask the questions.
or moms. I really want the dads to up the game is what I'm after here. You should. All right, so, um, all right, let's go. Adults, what should we do with ourselves? Um, the, uh, response often, but I hadn't thought that much about it, what I'm supposed to do, and that's the problem. It, it, this is the opportunity, I should say. We get to think about it. We, we're forced to think about it. As you're at home alone and you've got to come up with something for Saturday, you don't, you can't wait till Saturday morning and get up and say, oh, yeah, it's here. It's, you're gonna, you really need to start praying about it yourself because there's nobody else to rely upon. So pray about it yourself, and you start asking Monday, what am I going to do? What do you want me to do, or how do you want us to go forward on Shabbat? And start thinking about it. Seek him uh, because he is seeking you on that day, and so you want to be prepared to meet him. It really is an interaction between you and him, so let it be that. All right, I am going to move quickly to this one. I drew pictures. If there are any children, I tried to include you in this one. Yeah, I drew my pictures with my little finger on the thing here, so it's not very good. But there's a point here, and this is our attitude during trial and tribulation. Here's how we get through. Because the question was, how does the church, how does the kahal get through in these times of trouble? And, um, and I look back at a passage, or what came to mind this week was a passage where Yeshua says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my kahal, and the gates of Hades shall not stand against it. This familiar passage to most of us. And so um, I, I looked at the context. And the context of that is, is Jesus had just taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It's an area in the northern part of Israel. And, and it's a pretty infamous area, region, uh, for many different reasons. Uh, I did a little study. I don't a little bit of this, but I learned some more. So it's kind of a, a known area for pretty high-level pagan activity, spiritual, demonic, dark activity is kind of the Caesarea Philippi area. And so in earlier in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, uh, it was known as Bashan. So the region was called Bashan. And there was a king, king Og and King Sihon were kings there. Og, Og was the big guy. He was the biggest giant mentioned in Scripture, if you remember him. His bed was 13 feet long. Either he was a giant or he just liked a lot of, liked a lot of room. He rolled around a lot in bed. I don't know. We're going to assume he was a big guy, right? So his bed was 13 feet. Well, I drew him on the right. He's the big guy. Compared to Goliath, we remember who David fought. He was only 9 feet 6. Only 9 feet 6. So he could barely play basketball in the NBA now. And so, um, and then and the, this David, he's about, what, 5 foot or 5 and a half or something like that. So that really is almost the kind of size range between them. And so Og was there, and, uh, and it's uh, thought by the Jewish lore there was that this region where Og was, was a region that was uh, known for where the Rephidim lived, the, the offspring of the, of the giant superhuman offspring of those uh, women who had relations with the angels and they had children back before the flood. So that, that kind of lore was out there. So the point I'm making is that this region was known for its wild, weird, spiritual, con- interactive, bad stuff. Okay, put it that way. And so the region was known for that. Um, it's also where King Jeroboam, remember when the kingdom divided and, and Jeroboam took ten of the tribes and Rehoboam took the southern two, those northern ten tribes. King uh, Jeroboam, who was um, uh, took over uh, the kingdom from 
after Solomon, he established two centers of worship, one in the southern part of Israel and one in the northern part named Dan, both named Dan. The northern part of Dan is in Caesarea Philippi. And it was a place where he put up an altar so that people could worship God there. And it became, later on, that area became known for Baal worship, um, or had been known for Baal worship, became known for uh, Philippi. The city was built um, for Zeus, is what I read. I've also heard that it's associated or affiliated with the god Pan. And so it was known as the gate to the underworld. Now, here's my point. This is cool. This is cool. When I saw this, I said, this is cool, God. Way to go. Yeshua takes his men up there on purpose. Okay? He walks them up to this place. that everybody kind of knows it's kind of like a haunted house, right? It's just kind of scary. You get this little chilly feeling coming up your spine if you believe all that stuff. You know? Then you're kind of on your, on your toes. And I'm sure some of those guys were kind of looking around. Okay, so they're there in the middle of that. And right over here is a wall that's got a hole. That There's the, the path. That is the gate to hell, the gate to the underworld. Right there it is. It's a literal place, okay? There it is. And he takes them right there and he sits them down so they don't miss the point. And he says, Peter, he asks him who I am. He says who he is. He says, Peter, what you just said there, he said, that's true. He, this is my, my rendition of this. That's true. And he says, let me tell you something. And right there at that place is a mountain, by the way. It's a rocky, stony outcropping. And there's, it's the foot of Mount, uh, is it Haran? Mount Haram? Uh, Heb- Har. Har. I couldn't remember the mountain right now. So it's the foot of this mountain there where it's, you know, all the bad stuff is there. And he says, on this rock, I think he's talking about the mountain. He's not talking about Jesus, uh, Peter's statement. He's not even talking about himself. He's saying, Right here on this place, from here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my kingdom from right here, us, right here. I'm going to build my kahal, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That right there, all of the stuff that's down there that you're worried about doesn't have a chance against what I'm about to do with you boys, what I'm about to do in you boys, us we're about to do it doesn't have a chance i mean that was the power the forces of all kinds of witchcraft and sorcery and who knows what right said doesn't have a chance i always had this image i always pictured it that what jesus was saying to us there was um it was it's like the the christians the church we're in this big uh stone castle like the mountain it's just stone it's impenetrable it's big and we're inside there and there's this foot or two foot thick oak door gate that's there and you know no arrow nothing's going to come through and what Yeshua is saying is we're going to close that and we're going to lock it down from the inside and I'm going to make sure it stays locked and those guys cannot come in and bother you you're safe that's what I thought it's the opposite it's the opposite what Yeshua was saying is they're in their they're in their rock fortress they think they're safe they don't have a clue I'm coming. I'm taking my people. We're coming in there. They don't have a clue. As he launched his, as he, as he, as he shouldered his where it would, missile launcher with a nuclear tip on it and got ready to pull the trigger and said, ready, aim, countdown. You know, fire in a hole. That's what he was saying. He was saying, it's coming. And nothing, nothing they have will stop this. That is our approach. 
That is our attitude during times of trouble. Our attitude is in the face of trial. James says, we rejoice. Consider it joy when you face troubles of all kinds, knowing that it will produce good things, character and hope and faith. We rejoice in that. Yeshua said, you get a better reward for those who are persecuted. Consider it a joy. Celebrate. Rejoice this. He says before tribulation, uh, Paul says that when I have tribulation, when I'm weak, that's when... Yeshua is, uh, God is shown to be even stronger. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Um, before tribulation, we radiate the sun. When flushed by persecution, we scatter and flourish. Look at the persecution in Acts and always. Hardship is our fertilizer. Testing is our benefactor. We are in growth mode. The enemy's locked down. Let's embrace this time, Beth Takun, and all those out there. It is tough, and I see that, and we're not belittling that at all but we dare not let that stop us because it is little in comparison to what is available for us it is minor our minor our temporary and minor trials are achieving for us greater things far greater things this is it we are living it we're living what the book says right now we should embrace it we should embrace we should welcome we should thank you and be with us but thank you Let's embrace this time and allow it to produce the harvest of righteousness that is intended because God has intended it for righteous purposes or he wouldn't let it happen. And God is drawing us nearer, advancing his agenda, moving us toward the greatest assembly of all time in the city of the great king. So let's lead into it. Let's learn from it and let's mature through it. I'll read you a a last thing. It's just a, a few lines, a little stanza from a song that I heard just yesterday that I just think is just beautiful and expresses this very well. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. And that's how we thrive. That's how we survive is we remember who the king is. The great Gahal has a great king and we're part of it. He is within us. And it's through this that they get to know him too. So I want to encourage everybody practically. Here are a few examples and solutions. Trust him. That's what he wants anyway. Go trust him. Do the best you can. During this temporary time where we're separated from one another, let's just give thanks to him and look for the opportunities there. Include the kids. Be thoughtful about how to make it even a better time to serve one another and connect with him and rely on him. He will help us through this. He really will help us through this. So if you fall off your bicycle, get up and get back on again. You'll be okay. We'll learn to do it, all right? So may the Lord bless us and bless his kingdom as we at Beth do our best to pull into, to, to receive and embrace the, the trouble and tribulation that's here in front of us now. And, and just, if you can do it, if you can muster the energy, tell him thank you. Thank him for it. He will bless you for that. It's a spiritual principle, and we get to live it. May God be with us. May Yeshua's name be lifted high. Love you all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry I went so long. It's Grant's fault.